Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Bob Flounders and David Jones. Hey guys, it's Bob Flounders joined by David Jones uh, for this edition of the Blue White Breakdown podcast, Penn Live's Penn State football podcast. And we got a lot to get to this week, uh, a marquee matchup, Penn State at Iowa State. Penn State's number four, Iowa's number three. Huge game. Huge. But first, Dave, how are you doing? What's new in Downingtown? How's your, how's the first couple of days of your week going? The, it looks like we're into a, I'm going to get into a meteor, meteorological geek stuff. Fantastic game. Fantastic. We're, 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 we're lapsing into a Midwestern gloom. We might not see the sun all week, Bob. So just, <laughs> just so you know. You know, I grew up in Ohio and it can get the the the, the lake effect clouds kind of just just sap down from the lake with the north over the over the yeah. warm water. There was three weeks in November of eighty-five where we did not see the sun. It was so amazing and so depressing that even John Feinstein wrote about it in Season on the Brink. It it just clouds over the entire Midwest. And I remember when I first met my wife, we went to the Wisconsin-Ohio State football game, and the mm-hmm. sun came out during senior introductions because Fred was coaching at Wisconsin. And mm-hmm. 1985, the sun came out for the first time in 18 days, and the sun got a standing ovation. Nice. I'm going to make a note to myself to never ask you how you're doing at the start. <laughs> Just so you know, that's I'm never going to ever, ever ask you how you're doing. Okay. That was the James Franklin filibuster. Yeah. Well yeah. done, my man. Well done. Bob, Bob, is that a, a beer bottle behind you? <laughs> <laughs> you? You like beer? You like beer? That's, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, he's like, are you, so well, you're a Cowboys fan. I yeah. Said, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. I was like, yeah, okay. I, I am. All right, Dave, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about James Mood, uh, some of the things he touched about. This week, Iowa week, as we said, uh, and I just got, I got to, I got to start. Uh, I got to, I got to pat myself on the back for successfully predicting Maryland upsetting Iowa last week in fine. <laughs> oh, wait, that, didn't, that did not happen. You put I, me, not you put me in that mindset and I, I was kind of on the fence and I was like, oh, Bob usually knows what he's talking about. I guess I'll go along with Bob like an idiot. You know, Oof. I forgot that Mike Loxley was coaching Maryland somehow. Yeah. Somehow that skipped my mind that they were the most penalized, most mistake prone, <laughs> most knuckleheaded team on the planet for like three straight years. But, you know, why would I pay attention to that? <laughs> my nephew only played quarterback for him. Why would I know that? <laughs> Lesson yeah. learned. James, I thought, had a couple interesting things to say. The fo- a lot of focus on Penn State's, the state of Penn State's running game, the running back rotation, what ails it, what's good about it. Uh, what did you take away from, he was asked a, a couple different ways about the running game. I had one, I thought he said something interesting, but what, what kind of stood out to you about that, Dave? 
Yeah, there were like two or three different questions where he dealt with it rather frankly. Uh, yes. First of all, he said he need they need to establish the run in this game, not just to right. to, to help the offense, but to help out the defense with possession time. Then he mm-hmm. said he'd like the running backs to be a little more physical in runs where the optimum is only three or four or five yards. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting. And then right. I think at the end he said, we got we to gotta be able to get a yard or two when everyone in the stadium knows that that's what we're doing. He was, he was frank, you know, he was honest. Yeah. I thought that was interesting yeah. because he's kind of putting it on those guys, everybody, yeah. offensive line, the backs. And I think everyone's kind of equally uh, yeah. culpable, I guess is the word. I don't know. Yeah. He, I thought he, and I, you know, that he was going to do it, Dave. And, and, and it's, he's, it's what he's supposed to do. He, he, he tap danced a little bit around Audrey Snyder's question about maybe Noah trying to play through some things since the Auburn game. He's not, if he's, if he's not hundred percent, he's not going to admit it. We know that, but yeah, I, I, I think to me, when you see the best of Noah Kane, you see a guy that's always getting extra yards. You see guys, one guy's never bringing him down. He runs through tackles. We didn't see that against Indiana. We, we just didn't. He didn't play against Villanova, and James did not acknowledge the Auburn game took a little bit out of him. But I would say, I don't know, on a scale of 1 to 10, Noah might have been at a 6 uh, against Indiana. That could be generous. The first carry he had, Dave, I think he got 8 or 9 yards, but the guy, he, he ran into the guy and just stopped. And like, there was no, there was no forward contact. He just kind of, it kind of went to the ground. And, and I think we both looked at each other and that's not, that's really not what we've come to expect uh, from Noah Kane. So I, I, I just wonder what he's going to be like um, for the Iowa game. And I know that you uh, in particular are a little fascinated with the way that they use Kevon Lee, even when it looks like He's re- he's got fresh legs and he's ready to run through some people. They kind of go to that rotation and you don't see him for a while. Yeah, and Devin Ford really has not shown much of anything. I think the 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 guy is Lee, uh, but you're right about Kane. I mean, that first run, I think it was nine yards. I went back and looked at it on the tape to see if yeah. I I saw what I thought I saw, which yeah. it was not quite what I thought I saw. I. I remember to him kind of <laughs> going sideways into the contact. Uh, he didn't do that, but he, he certainly didn't attack the contact and run through like he usually does and finish the run. And yeah, you knew right away. Plus there was a, there was a B gap uh, off left tackle uh, run where he just didn't have any, any explosion at all. He, he I, I don't want to speculate, but the, the right. way he's playing, reminds me of somebody who's got rib issues. That's what I said to you that night, because it, it seems like it's, if a, if a guy favors one leg or another, that's one thing, or if he, he's, he's got a shoulder injury maybe, but this was, this was like a guy who just did not want to absorb contact to me. And that's not Noah Kane. So I don't know what you right. do about it, okay. but yeah, uh, Kevon Lee was by far the most effective and the most uh, aggressive through the whole for the, for the whole game, but who knows, maybe he doesn't think he can feature him whole game and maybe he shouldn't, maybe after a week, Kane will be better. Uh, but right. it's kind of surprised me that he played Kane basically the whole fourth quarter. Right. The one thing that I actually found the most interesting, the, the most interesting thing I thought James said about the running game, as good as Sean Clifford has played this year as a thrower, 
He basically said there are times when Sean Clifford needs to get out of a run and they have built-in throws when there's too many guys in the box that are easy throws and they're staying with the run call and the, the call more often than not is doomed. I thought that was pretty interesting. And I think on the practice field this week, I think Mike Yersuch is going to be in Sean's ear about, hey, listen, you're a veteran quarterback. If they got too many guys in the box or we have a run called into a spot on the field where they are overloaded, you got to check out of it and you got to throw the safe pass. And he said, and he said, we got to throw the ball, the, the ball to the backs more. And I, I just thought that was interesting, uh, an interesting admission. And I think that's fair game. I think that when you're a first year quarterback or, a, you know, a, a redshirt freshman quarterback, I think it's understandable when you're not good at that. But I think after five years, I think I think the expectation is that your quarterback will get you into the right play. Uh, you know what I thought it was interesting in all this stuff is that is how frank he is in, during press conferences. I mean, you compare this to like Belichick or any number of college coaches. I mean, how many how many guys expose this many thoughts? That that is pretty granular and pretty inside baseball for yeah. a normal pro coach's press conference. He's never been afraid of that. He's never been paranoid about saying well, he's been paranoid about some things, but he's never been paranoid yeah. about expressing how he feels about things. Something else he said that we haven't dealt with about Kane is that uh, he finally got around to with Audrey's question is that's hey, it's part of football. Everyone in football is working through something by this time yeah. of year. So it, that's kind of a little message. And, and a lot yeah. of coaches do that in press conferences. They dispense messages to the team or maybe even to the opponents. But, but very rarely do you see a guy analyze his own, his own team's decisions and in-game decision-making of players like that. That's yeah. not very normal. And it's refreshing as hell. It's terrific for us. Uh, right. I don't think it's detrimental at all. I, I I think it's look these teams know each other very well. You've got a fascinating uh, coordinator matchup between a couple of Cleveland guys here, <laughs> and, and yeah. Phil Parker and Mike Yursich, uh, who you know they they know what each other is going to do. Phil Parker's been running that defense, that quarters defense, forever. You, it's it's not like he's going to do something crazy. They might run a trick play on offense, but they they know who they are. So it's just being realistic that that Franklin can can be uh, honest about a lot of this stuff because both staffs know know what the other is going to do. There's 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 nothing. There are no secrets here. Yeah, and James, the psychologist, is also doing two things when he does this stuff. I think he is clearly aware of the narrative that the running game all the fault is on the running backs and, and, you know, they need to play better. And if he feels strongly, that's not the case. I think he's going to send a message to, I mean, a lot of, there's a lot of people writing about Penn state football you, on the zoom cast. There were like 66 participants. And the other thing is, I don't think he wants his quarterback to get too big of a head. You know, hey, you're off to a great start throwing the football. This is the best you've ever played. You're completing 67% of your passes, 11 touchdowns, only three interceptions. But on the other hand, you might want to get a little bit more uh, consistent with your calls in the running game. And I think that's that is just James reminding everyone that they let's not get a big head. Let's we, we got room to grow. We're not the best versions of ourselves yet, and we got to be better if we're going to win at Kinnick Stadium. 
Yeah, and I thought another interesting question was someone was talking about Clifford's decision making this year. How much is of him and he's been able to extend plays in an intelligent way. So yeah. how much is experience of being a fifth year senior right. and how much is Yersich? I'm glad you brought that up because, I mean, Sean has gotten not only good at that, he's gotten great at that, you know, the faking like he's going to run, pulling up, drawing the defender to him, and then it's just an easy eight or nine-yard completion down the field. I think he, David, I think he might have done that when it was still a game at, in the Indiana game. Penn State completed, there was fourth and I think they went for it on fourth and seven, and he did that. He ran, he ran to the right side, and, and, and when the defense kind of came up, I think that's how he got Parker Washington open for that nine-yard pass. Uh, I don't know if you remember that. No, he also did it with Dotson on the 30-yard touchdown. Yeah. Yeah. He, he rolled out, drew, drew the – I don't remember who the coverage was on Dotson. I'm, I'm sure yeah. it was a, probably a safety, and drew him up and then, and then fired, and he was in an open area. He does a different thing than what Trace McSorley did. Did because McSorley more often could squirt out the the front of the pocket and get clear air and get clean air and then all of a sudden he, he was looking downfield he was always looking downfield downfield for the bomb which you know he had a bunch of great receivers who could who could high end uh, 50 50 balls and bring them down especially Chris Godwin and that's how Trace ended up as historically he's still in the NCAA record books on yards per completion. I think he's, he's with an, an incredible group of quarterbacks. Um, uh, Ty Detmer, Jim McMahon, <laughs> Bryce Petty, and then somebody else. I mean, it's an incredible group and Trace is right there in the top, in the top four, top five. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how he did that. Clifford doesn't do that. He goes short and a lot of times he uh, ejects out the side. He's not quite quick enough to split um, a collapsing pocket up up the middle and get away with it. I, I wish he would just get rid of the ball quicker myself in, in several situations because this is how Iowa creates right. turnovers. They also play this quarters defense in their secondary. They play a lot of zone compared to some and it's not like they come on. Sometimes they, they play more man than they, they usually have. But these guys are so good at, at reading the quarterback's eyes. And Franklin mentioned this, too, that they spend more time. They're so confident in their scheme that they spend more time looking at the quarterback's right. eyes than a lot of, of secondaries do. And if, if you looked at Talia Tungavaloa on his first interception, Riley Moss came off his guy because he was watching Tungavaloa. And he, he, Tungvaloa was not expecting him to be there. He was not supposed to be there. And so much of what quarterbacks, young quarterbacks are taught to do is, okay, when I see this, this is going to happen. And you can't do that with Iowa. Uh, right. This is a second, third level of defensive acumen that they have. And that's why they mine all these turnovers. It's not luck. It's mm-hmm. Phil Parker. Phil Parker is a genius at field geography and getting all these guys to cover certain areas. And they get so good at it. And are so uh, um, something else that Franklin said, they're so good at down and distance and tendencies of the opponent. They've been schooled into what to expect. Right. But they, they can play fast and aggressive and they're not thinking because they know it. They know it cold. And you don't want a defense to, to think ever. You just want them to react and be aggressive. And that's what right. they do. 
This is the Blue White Breakdown. Welcome to Curaleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Curaleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Visit us at cureleaf.com or stop in to see us at any of our 12 locations. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours. Let's just shift gears to the Penn State offense and the passing game, Dave, real quick, because uh, our good friend Mark Brennan asked about Jahan Dotson, the season he's having, the season he's had dating back to the start of the 2020 season. And James James went into detail about why he thinks he's such a great player and how he works at his craft, the elite ball skills. But I, I just want to focus on one thing. I, Penn State lucked into Dotson because UCLA – Really? Yeah, he was going to go play for Jim Mora, right? No, he was going to go play for Chip Kelly, I think. Oh, I, I, I think it was Chip Kelly that said, I don't think we want you. How long has Chip Kelly been at UCLA? I think he was going to go play for Jim Mora. This is the way I heard it. And then they made the switch and Kelly said, nah, I don't know if we want you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I guess my question is, what the hell was Chip Kelly thinking? <laughs> Well, I thought Joe Kelly was a genius again. I guess not. That doesn't work out. I think out. it was you... Kelly that said, ah, we, yeah, you can just Yeah, play. I think you got it right. But he was, he was going to play for Jim Mora, I believe. Yeah. Right. And, okay. Uh, I see what you're saying now. And, and, then, and Kelly then they made the in. switch. They made the switch, and that, that kind of unplugged it. I, I don't want to get off topic here, but LSU, that LSU win was supposed to be huge for, for UCLA. Yeah. How good, is, how good yeah. is LSU? They didn't beat Auburn. They didn't beat that team. Yeah. Why is the SEC so confident that they're better than everyone else? Alabama and Georgia, yeah. But the rest of the Big Ten has a real chance to, to get whoever's best has a chance to get in, I think, even with two losses, and that hasn't happened before. Anyway, D- Jahan Dotson, I did not know. Um, about I didn't know he was a high jump champion. Did you know that? I knew he was a multi-sport athlete at Nazareth High School. I grew up in the Lehigh Valley. I know know. the Nazareth Blue Eagles. I think he also had he spent some time, I think, at a prep school in New Jersey, but he did play some some at Nazareth and I think some in a prep school in New Jersey. But man, you saw you saw a little bit of it when he was in, in 2018, his first year. You saw more of it in 2019 when he became a starter. Because he really he didn't really start until the end of his true freshman season. 2020, it was ridiculous, starting with the Ohio State game when he just torched that that corner, Wade, for eight catches for 144 yards. Yeah, Sean Wade. The hands, Dave, the hands. I, I just don't – I've never seen a college receiver uh, consistently – catch the ball the way that Jahan does. He catches because Clifford has a strong arm and some of those throws he's hand catching that are away from his body are lasers and he makes it look easy. I know they have gloves on, but I just cannot say enough about his ability to catch the ball, catch the ball in traffic, run after the catch. He's really just an amazing player. And I don't know. I just don't know. I, I haven't seen anyone like him since I came on the beat. And I, Chris Godwin was a, was a heck of a player. I think Jahan Dotson's better. And I, I just – I did not necessarily see this coming going into the 2020 season. Yeah, I think he's improved every single year. Every single year, really. We right. didn't see this. Markedly no each year, yeah. consistently better. Yeah, so there was no reason that anyone would see it coming. Who does he remind you of? A famous claymation star from the past. <laughs> 
Now you threw me. I'm distracted about <laughs> he's, that he's, he's, series claymation. He's Gumby. Gumby. Oh, Gumby. I was going to get there. Yeah. Not Pokey. He's Gumby. My God. I mean, think of all the stretching, lunging catches. Yeah. He's so easily flexible, easily yeah. elastic. Bendy. And Franklin. Franklin mentioned that. I mean, not just leaping for balls and catching them on his fingertips, but remember the one they caught out in front of him like this against Auburn. Yeah. Which is not only difficult and awkward, but dangerous. You know, it's, it's a little bit courageous to do that in the middle of the field. Yeah. He doesn't care, man, in a good way. Um, he's gotten more physical. I remember when he was playing against Sean Wade and just kind of bumping him around last year. And I'm thinking, well, we haven't seen that before. Sean Wade's kind of a big guy and he's, he's, he's bossing him around out there. He's, he's bodying up and doing the things that Godwin used to do uh, in when he was, when he was heavily right. covered. How did, where do you see him fitting in, in the NFL? Cause certainly he's going to be chosen in the, it looks like the first round. Wouldn't you say? The thing about wide receivers, Dave, is the difference between the top 20 that are in the draft every year is very minuscule. And what, what I say by that is when there's not one receiver that is, you know, like Megatron, like Calvin Johnson, who's just maybe the most physically gifted or Randy Moss physically Mega, gifted people ever to put on a football <laughs> uniform. When there's not that much separation, teams tend to wait because they can, they know they're going to get a really good receiver in okay. the second or the third round. So when I, when I think about Jahan, um, the fact that he does everything significantly above average everything but is he truly elite at one thing that at the nfl level uh, an evaluator is going to say man we got to have this guy maybe he is but i think that uh, he is he's, top, i think he's probably a top 50 or top 40 player yeah. and if somebody falls in love with him and if they do they're probably smart to do it he could absolutely go in the first round but i i just know every if you just look at these wide receiver lists there's there's going to be, you know, the Alabama guys, the Ohio State guys, you know, there's just so much, even LSU guys, there's going to be 10 or 12 of them. And, and I don't know that the, the drop off is that significant. So that's when I talk about Jahan as a college player, I think I think he absolutely could and should win the Bolitnikoff Award. I think he absolutely, if he continues to produce, could be a Heisman invite, like an invite to the top five guys. If you could, I mean, look at Devonta Smith. Um, he's not quite there yet, but I don't, I just don't know what that means on the NFL level, but man, he is fun to watch play because he brings it every game. You look at how he cu- catches punts. I think he's still got a big punt return in him at some yeah. point. And he you hasn't know, had it Indiana, but I mean, what, what, what a neat player, what a treat to watch. And we got to, we're going to get to see him, you know, 18, we got to see him for four years and that's a rarity anymore. It's to your point until Dante Demas got hurt. Yeah, he's the kind of guy that the pros are is like, well, d- does he do one thing? Yeah, he's big. He's big and fast. And he's like, wow, your eyes pop. And then he got that horrible, gruesome injury. I still haven't heard what the. the uh, yeah, I heard it's not. I heard it could. Be, I think I think Loxley hasn't about updated it, but it sounded yeah. everything I read about it. It did not. Oh, that was torque and everything. It was horrible on a kickoff return. Yeah. So, but that's what you're talking about, about a guy that eye popping one yeah. aspect of his play where uh, John is more like Bobby Ingram. Right. Bobby Ingram was right. not a first round choice. He right. was a second and a but second round choice. Played I forever. Played yeah, forever. Played forever. And because and John's not big, 
and right. he's not powerful, especially, but he won't be pushed around. He's not incredibly fast, but he's fast enough. Everyone uh, underestimates his speed. He runs by everyone. It's You see people take bad angles on him all the time. It's amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. Bobby Ingram was all those things and had the incredible hands. Almost that's never cool. dropped a pass. Yeah. So that, that would be the comp. And Bobby Ingram, I think, was, you know, 52, 54 uh, pick in the draft back in 96. Is that right? Yeah, that sounds about right. Oh, yeah. Let's let's I just I'm just going to continue to watch him. And I I can't wait to see him against the Iowa secondary. But you know what? Last year, Dave, he, he made some big plays. The Iowa game last year was Penn State's fifth consecutive loss to start the season. That was the game where Franklin had finally seen enough. They started Will Levis. He got a touchdown on a long drive in the first half, and then he turned the ball over on three straight possessions. They went back to Clifford. Clifford and Dotson, I think, produced I, – I think he had a pretty nice game statistically against this defense, but Iowa was, was probably playing a little bit different because they had kind of a big lead on Penn State. But this game feels this, – this does feel like a game that – Franklin's already talking about it, Dave – they, they're aware of, of what Iowa does with turnovers and how they force turnovers. He's already talking about the running game and how it's going to need to protect his defense. Both sides are going to be are a little nervous about making the one big mistake in this game because one big mistake might decide it. Yeah, it reminds me of football uh, 40 years ago, doesn't it? It's like yeah. one, of, one of those. They're going to approach this game tight, man. These guys <laughs> are tight, I'm telling you. They have they have shown the Iowa Michigan game in '85 a few times in the last ten seven or something. Yeah, I mean it was it was it was it was Brent Musburger and it came down to an Iowa field goal at the end, and it was Hayden Fry's first really good team. Yeah, uh, I believe it was uh, number one against uh, number three or something mm-hmm. at that point, and Iowa wins. The quarterback for Michigan was it John Wangler? <laughs> Was that was that a quarterback's name? One of those, yeah, yeah, one of the, one of those, one of those faceless, nameless guys. Yeah, the Bo, Bo like Harbaugh. Harbaugh was the quarterback. Nah, he was. He, I don't know, eighty-five. He might have been. Yeah, Yeah, he might have been. He was the the first-round pick in eighty-six. I think he. I think he was. No, he was the quarterback. You're right. You're right. To that point, your question about Linderbaum and Mustafer got a pretty interesting response because he acknowledges he knows what's up. That's going to be a heavyweight title fight inside. <laughs> I, don't, about, I don't know who's walking away with the belt. After no, that. Those guys about, are going to slam into each other. Talk about Greco-Roman wrestling. That's going to be nasty. Well, they and, both are wrestlers, Dave. They bo- yeah. I think PJ was a state champion at Maryland. I think Linderbaum was a state champ, too. I'm telling you, I'm going to be watching the press box. I might not take my eyes off that matchup. <laughs> they're, not, they're not always going to run into each other because of the way Penn State does things. And, you know, there's times when Linderbaum will actually pull to lead a sweep, which is talk about rare. Like you don't see that at a college level, a center pulling to lead a sweep. But when those two guys square off, man, it's like, it's, you know, PJ's got him on weight, but Linderbaum understands leverage and he is quick. He's just a relative kid. What is he? 20? He's yeah, I think he's, yeah, but I think he played as a freshman. So he's experienced, but he is still, I think he's 21 or 22. He's been playing a lot of football for them. Uh, I also thought it was interesting what what Franklin said about you. You know what you're going to get with PJ if he's if he's supposed to be in the A gap, then he is going <laughs> to be in the A gap. Well, he's and, not and, a freelancer. No, no, and what you need out of a nose guard. I mean, yeah. you got you got to have an anchor in there, a, uh, a a fire hydrant who cannot be uprooted, and that's important. That's what that guy's supposed to do. 
It was a, it was a pretty interesting press conference. Yeah, I thought James did. I thought he, he you ask you ask him a question and he expounded on it. Like he'll, yeah. he he didn't really hold back. He's really good. He's but he's 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 a master at you know saying just enough, but not being real critical of his guys, but getting his message across to the media who now know what he's trying to say. So he can be critical without actually <laughs> saying critical words. And I think to me, when, when it comes to press conferences, he can, he can work a press conference about as good as anyone, I think in college football. Yeah. And people fans do not care. They don't care about, I know, but I appreciate they it. Don't, they don't care. We appreciate it. But, but to me, it sends a positive message to the team when the coach yeah. is comfortable. Yeah. Uh, there were so many times when Joe used to be so anal in these press conferences that he get he'd get all worked up, and and then they'd go lay an egg in Columbus, you know, they or or Ann Arbor. I mean, they couldn't beat those teams. So remember how many how many losses in a row in Columbus or Ann Arbor? I mean, the the last fifteen years, it was yeah. it was ridiculous. I I think that has some sort of effect now. You, you could say Franklin has not been great in Columbus or Ann Arbor either, but he has been very good against Iowa, which is a tough yes, place to play yeah. in, in, in Iowa City at Kinnick, which is, you know, we were talking about that, too, in the press conference, how if you've never been to Kinnick and a lot of Penn State fans have have had, a, a you know, it's funny for a, a league that that at first Penn State fans really didn't want to be in. Uh, and didn't feel welcomed in. Now I think a lot of fans have taken a lot of the trips, and those who've been to Kinnick realize how cool it is because yeah. the field is so damn close to the stands. In fact, Joe Hermit once got one of his cameras ripped off uh, because he put it. Was it a camera or, or what, what? No, what that was in that was in Columbus, Dave, in 2017. Oh, I thought it was in Iowa. No, okay. it was Columbus. Yeah, see, it, it's it, it fits, doesn't it? Much <laughs> much better that Ohio State fans would do that than Iowa yeah. fans. Iowa fans would never do that. Okay, well, Probably. forget that. But uh, Joe has mentioned many yeah. times how close right the, the fans are there and how what a cool atmosphere it is because they're right on top of you. And I mean, it's it's like ballparks. It's the difference between like the L.A. Coliseum is is like the Oakland Alameda Coliseum. It's it's acres of land there. And, and whereas this is more like Fenway Park, people right on to, or, or Tiger Stadium, people right on top of you. When you were talking about press conferences, you missed the boat. You could have talked about Billy O'Brien's press conferences in 2012. My all time favorite, Dave, after after they lost their opener to Ohio that year. Remember the year that he had Gerald Hodges back? fielding punts and the linebacker fumbled. I think Ohio kicked a field goal. And I think Ohio won by like 10, it's like 27, 17. It was a hot day and it was Franklin or it was uh, Bill O'Brien's first season as Penn state coach. And after the game, I'll never forget it. Neil Rudell, Neil Rudell led with his chin. And he asked Bill who was, he came into the press conference and you could just tell he had the <laughs> O'Brien's cow on Neil goes, Hey Bill, did you think you maybe did you maybe think that your team didn't have their legs? Did you maybe work them too hard? Oh no! In August, oh, no, I and, and I think Bill, uh, Bill went no. <laughs> said, no, it's, it was either he just said no, or he said, "Hey Neil, I really respect the question." No. 
<laughs> it was one of those two happened, but I was like, oh man, that was great. You, when Bill didn't want to talk to you, boy, you knew. You better watch what you ask him. Yeah, and you better not make a mistake either. One time Marino Paracenso in Columbus asked Bruce Parkhill the first question, and he'd just gotten beat by like three, and he didn't have a good team. It was the first trip into Columbus in like 93 or something. And he got him mixed up with his brother, Barry. <laughs> he goes, he says, what do you got to do to win, Bear? <laughs> And Bruce doesn't say anything. He looks at him. He goes, it's Bruce. (laughs) (laughs) That was the answer. Next question. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Anyway, I I do think that James is a little bit more forgiving in press conferences than some other former Penn State coaches. So I know you're right. The the fans don't care, but I got a kick out of some of the things that I still miss Bill O'Brien just for, I just, you just never knew it was going to happen. And when, when that eruption happened, man, you just, there was, no one was safe. (laughs) I think that's our cue that this round of the blue white breakdown podcast has come to an end. We will be back a little bit later in the week to actually talk about Penn state and Iowa, make our picks Talk about some matchups and players we really are fascinated with. You're, but you're gonna you're gonna have a special segment on Urban Meyer, I know. <laughs> I I'm just gonna wait. I'm letting you marinate <laughs> on Urban Meyer for a couple more days, and after we get into the meat of Penn State Iowa in our next podcast, I'm gonna tee you up, my man. And you can. No, I, I think this is all you. I, I, <laughs> uh, I'll take skanky bar experiences for 100, Alex. I do have an edge over you when it comes to <laughs> dissecting what goes on inside a bar after the drinks are flowing. I can interpret body language better than you can, but maybe I will, my man. Maybe I will. See you. See everyone. This has been the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. <laughs>